Welcome to Shift with CJ. I'm your host CJ and together we will explore the areas of health, human performance, biohacking, psychology and much more that will inspire you to become the best version of yourself. What if I told you that there is a hack that you could incorporate in your life that can improve your mood, decrease pain, decrease anxiety, give you a reason to express your true emotional expression? This hack, ladies and gentlemen, improves your blood sugar, reduces blood pressure, boosts neurochemicals like dopamine and serotonin, which make you feel great. It stimulates your memories, helps you run fast, lift more. Heck, it could even control your appetite. Seems a bit impossible to believe, but it is true. And this hack is called music. And today on the show, I have brought to you someone who is super special and has helped millions of people around the world feel all these benefits and much more. I'm grateful to have him on the show because he's an Amirati and his achievements are insane. DJ Bliss, welcome to the show. What's up, CJ? Thank you for having me and uh, thank you for the great introduction as well, man. That was, uh, that was really nice. Man, you deserve all of it. And honestly, I don't even know where to start telling the audience about you. I mean, you're a world-famous DJ, you're a TV presenter, you're a radio personality, you are a vlogger, you are a businessman, you're the first Emirati DJ to go on a world tour. Help me out. Am I missing something? Oh, you're a father too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, somehow somehow I managed to fit that all in. Um I'm always an overachiever, you know, like uh, I always wanted to do more. I, I, I did this video on YouTube as well. If you ever get a chance to watch, it's called The Truth About DJ Bliss. One thing I, I highlighted on there is like I always wanted more. And when you, when you say it right now, all those things, I'm like, wow. But when I'm in my own head, in my own space, you know, I'm always like, man, I need to do more. So I think that is maybe the, the reason why, uh, you know, I, I call it the gift and the curse because... The gift is to be, you know, multitasking and doing a lot of things that I love. The curse is, uh, you know, I think sometimes I think it's better to focus on certain things and do just that. But I don't know if I would change anything I, that I did, you know, saying saying that line. Man, the way you were going, I, I think you shouldn't change anything. So I don't know if a lot of people would know, but your name is Marwan Parham Al-Awadi. Dude, but that name, how did you come up with DJ Bliss? Share that story. How did you come up with that name? Um, man, it was uh, it was when I first started and, I, and I, I needed to print business cards. And I put all my details on the card except for the, the DJ name. It just said DJ and then it was blank. Mm -hmm. and, um, and at the time, my email address was given to me by my brother. And it was uh, crazekid at hotmail.com. You know, kind of give wow. you a tip on how, how, how long back we're talking about. <laughs> but so it was gonna be i might have been dj craze kid if it wasn't for you know that change but i heard the word bliss in two different songs and i researched the meaning and i'm like yo the meaning of this is really really cool so i i went with that it was really years later that i figured out like it is you know the that what, what association that that word would have with me it's the way i like to feel it's the way i like people to feel when they watch my content or listen to my music and it's really like a you know a type of feeling that i want the whole world to feel which is you know the definition of bliss which is the highest form of happiness oh wow now that makes all sense i must ask you you don't sound very emirati mm. How, did you travel a lot when you were growing up or did you just go in 
different schools. You sound a bit American. Yeah. Where is that coming from? I get that a lot. I know I didn't actually. I went to school here. I went to university here as well. I actually went to the States for the first time, um, like back in 2010, I think. It was about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. So the accent just kind of uh, adopted from, first of all, my family. You know, we all have a similar accent. My, my brother studied abroad, but they had this accent kind of, you know, uh, um, growing up anyways. And I think it's we were influenced by American TV shows, radio shows, um, mm-hmm. you know, the movies that we were watching. Um, because not everyone in my school sounds like this. But also, when I listened to my first radio shows back in the day, like even my accent wasn't you know this strong, and I think I just kind of polished it up for for you know things like being on radio, being on TV, um, and this is the way I sound. You know, sometimes I get people say, "Hey, why are you putting on this accent?" But if you you know if you hear me in real life, like this is this is me, this is how I sound like. And um, which school and university did you go to? So I went to a school called Al Mawakib. I went from like kindergarten right up until 12th grade. I graduated from Al Mawakib. And then the university I went to at the time was called Dubai Polytechnic, but have changed their name several times at this point in time. I think it's called the uh, University of Dubai or Dubai University. Okay. And Mawakib is the one in Cambridge? Uh, next to, sorry, Garhut? Yeah, next to Cambridge. Yeah, yeah next, to, next Cambridge. to Cambridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, sweet. I was um, at a point... In 2006, I think I was in American College of Dubai, which was right next to Cambridge oh. and El Mawakib. Yeah, I do have some memories from there. I did one semester over there. Oh, cool. Small world. Huh? Yeah, yeah. So you started your career in the 90s, am I correct? Correct, yeah. Well, late 90s. early. Actually, my first gig was in uh, 2001. 2001, all right. Yeah. So we can say somewhere in the late 90s. Yeah. Now, if I'm not wrong, at that point, being a DJ wasn't, I mean, there were some people who were appreciating the fact that, oh, this could be a career. But in like the 90s, not many people, especially not many people in this part of the world knew what it is like to be an international superstar DJ. And it kind of like is probably, you can tell me better, a, a bit different from for countries which have like a strong cultural background, like the Emirati culture. And you were literally the first big Emirati DJ. So before you, there was like no one. So how difficult or easy was it to convince your family, your friends, like, hey, I've decided to become a DJ and this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. How did that start? I mean, you know, there was never really that kind of decision or thought in my head. I never really thought this is what I was going to do. It was not really like, you know, trying to convince anyone or anything. It was, mm-hmm. I mean, I went to, you know, I went to college and I studied computers and, uh, you know, this was really a hobby for me. And, uh, and I was just making some, you know, extra money from it. I started DJing when I was in college. But when I graduated from college, I had a real interest in radio and I got my first radio job. And, you know, from my radio job, I got like better DJ gigs and, and then, you know, the two of them were working well together. And the next thing you know, like, you know, this thing that I was my hobby, I'm now making money off of and, you know, pretty good money too. So now I'm like, okay, well, you know, why would I need to go back to regular job? Um, so I was continuing on with that. And then at some point I even, you know, you know, peer pressure from the family. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to get a regular job. I'm going to quit all this. And I did a, like a, a job for six months working for like a multinational company. And, you know, the, they were paying me pretty well. You know, if anyone works for a multinational, you know, like the benefits and the perks that come along with it. It's very hard to say no to. 
Exactly. Uh, so, you know, I did that, but in that six months, the only thing I realized was, you know, how much I missed doing, you know, the DJing and the radio and all that. So it, in that period, I started to think about how to start my events company. And really off of the back of that, you know, I started my events company, Bliss Inc. Entertainment, um, started throwing parties and I was DJing. I was back on radio again. A couple of years later, I got into TV and then, it, you know, it just got bigger and better for me. So it was really a progression, not really so much of a, uh, you know, put my foot down decision. Um, mm-hmm. My parents were not, you know, they were not supportive. But they always did say, hey, you know, why are you working so late? And, you know, why don't you just get a job, work in the morning and sleep early? That kind of stuff. But, you know, they were always proud of what I was doing. Like, they would tell me, you know, to not DJ and not go out and be in the clubs. But at the same time, you know, what I was doing on what I was doing on the side as far as the radio and TV is concerned, mm-hmm. they were really proud of because, you know, when their friends and family came over, you know, that's what they, they, they had to show for it. So, you know, in, in that sense, I think... Uh, you know, maybe to answer a part of your question is it really depends on you and how you're going to uh, portray yourself because the stigma or, you know, what people associate associate with a DJ, uh, we all know, you know. Uh, so it's, it's up to you to really, you know, change that narrative or that perspective of people. What is really interesting is that when I hear your story, it seems to me more like, oh, you know, you were good at something and then you started doing it and then you're like, oh, let me see what happens next. And then you get to the radio and TV and then you're like, oh, let me see what happens next. And then next thing you know, now you're becoming famous and you have a company and now it just keeps on going on and on and on until what you are today. But when you first started looking, you were looking at a road which was kind of like, leading nowhere of course you were earning some money you were getting like some kind of fame but you did not know that you're going to be touring the world so was there something in your in the back of your head like you know some people call it intuition some people just call it like this gut feeling some people call it like there are so many names did you have that even for a moment in your in your gut like saying that this probably is what my heart is saying and i should like go and um, walk on this path no no <clears throat> i mean not not anything like that but what i did know is you know i wanted to be on top of you know what i what i was doing at the time whether it was radio tv or djing or just being successful and you know uh, and being the best version of myself i mean that's that's what i 100 percent knew but mm-hmm. um, I mean, yeah, sure. I have that feeling, and it's it's a very good uh, tool, or you know, thing that you hear a lot about motivational speakers about you know, picture what you're gonna be doing, um, and mm-hmm. you know, leave the rest up to the universe to uh, to to make work out. But I'm more of a you know, like I need to see it and feel it, and uh, you know, put in the work and start seeing results type of person so um sure i wanted it but it wasn't like uh you know that that feeling i had like i was a hundred percent sure um mm-hmm. you know it was it, but, but it's good to have that feeling if you know anyone does have it for sure but yeah i think the main thing is i you know i, I knew that i needed to do more and i wanted to be successful in every aspect of what i was doing why I brought this up was because um, when I look at you and your career, I feel that you've been an inspiration and aspiration for many people, not only from 
um, the Middle East, but from people all over the world, you know, which um, you being the first person to go on a world tour, like that kind of brings up this motivation spark. And one of the other things is, uh, which is very important, which I would like to bring up is the way human psychology works. You know, for you, for us as humans, it's very easy to accomplish something once we know something is being done. And just to keep that, just to put that in perspective, like I want uh, the audience to like rewind back to one of the famous um, world events. So in 1954, there was a guy, his name was Roger Bannister. Mm -hmm. And he ran, he ran across a mile in less than four minutes. But what is surprising is that hundreds, if not thousands of people before him tried to do that. And they claimed that it was impossible. At that point, they even had a name for it. It was called the four-minute mile barrier. Simply put, that no one could actually cross a mile in less than four minutes. Mm -hmm. And people have been trying this as early as 1886. But what happened was, as soon as Roger broke this record, just by knowing that it is possible to do that, 46 days later, there was a guy in Australia. His name is John Lan. He did it too. And later that year, three other runners did it too. And just in the last half century, there have been about a thousand years or some a thousand runners or something who have broken this mile. And this just shows us the possibility of what can be achieved when you see someone go out there and do it. Do you meet a lot of like young people who kind of like look at you and be like, hey, I want to be like DJ Bliss and I want to like, you know, just get out of the, this place and I want to go sign big music records and do things like that do you have like people who come up to you with and say that sure yeah i get a lot of people who uh you know they um they say those things and uh, and uh, you know it's an honor for me and it, that's a great story by the way and it, it makes total sense right <clears throat> you think something's impossible until someone makes it possible um and that story can work you know for for anything like what you said it could it could work with you know my story it could, uh, it could work with the, the first person to go to the moon and so on and so forth. Um, but, you know, what I think that there's a real lack of is the, the work that needs to be put in to make the impossible possible. Like those stories you told me, those guys didn't just wake up one day and be like, oh, my God, you know, this, this one guy did it. Now we can do it. No, it takes a lot of work to train their body, their mind. Uh, to, to do all that. And I think that's where there there's a lack. Um, but yeah, the hundred percent, I get, I, I get it all the time. You know, people like, Oh, inspiration helped me out. But I, you know, I'm, I, I don't see that hunger enough. And if I do, I would definitely, uh, you know, try to give that person as much help as I can. And I try and give anybody help anyways, but you get, you get some, you know, weird situations. Like, I get, I get people hit me up on my DM on Instagram all the time. Like, oh, my God, DJ Bliss, huge fan. You know, I wanted mm -hmm. some advice on what I can do as far as DJing or this or that. And I go to their profile. They're not even following me on Instagram. So, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, I definitely think, like, hard work is the most, ele like, elementary thing that you have to put in to be successful. I mean, you've got to be smart about it as well. And, uh, but... Hard work, definitely, as you said, like those guys did not wake up one day. They've been probably training for years and years. But then just having that reassurement mm -hmm. kind of like pushes human potential and human boundaries. And that was something that I want to highlight to everyone who's listening to this show. I mean, people who are listening to the show don't want to be the next DJ Bliss, but they do want to be something in their life. And knowing that it is possible that no matter which 
country you come from or which race you come from or what religion you come from like those shouldn't be the limiting factors you just have to trust on your hard work and you know make circumstances in a certain way that kind of like lead you on to the outcome and did you always have a passion for music yeah i was in a band before i got into djing Oh, cool. I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, my brother was playing the guitar. He taught us. So I was actually playing the guitar first, and I learned how to play the drums, and I was in bands really most of my, like, uh, you know, after high school and all that, you know. And we are a pretty successful band. Like, we won a Battle of the Bands competition. We were performing in a couple of locations. So that's really uh, how how it first started. Or my fr- I mean, Actually, no, it was, it was kind of simultaneous because I was also doing my high school radio when I was in uh, high school also. But I was definitely doing some music stuff at the same time. So, yeah, music was definitely... I don't know how... I always say I didn't, I didn't find music. I didn't go and search for it. I think music found me. Mm-hmm. And um, with time, did you develop a lot of passion for it? Or was it just like, do you consider yourself like gifted that, you know, you music found you and at that point you were just like, oh, let me try this up and then you've achieved success? No, I don't think uh, I don't think it's music only music. I think I have uh, you know a real um, passion for learning new things. Um, so you know when I see something that I think I can do, like I'll go wholeheartedly towards it because it was not only music that I was doing. I was doing radio, and radio is not really about music. If you're on you know daytime radio, it's your presenting skills, and on TV as well. And then I was like hosting events, and then my businesses as well. So, you know, that coupled with the fact that I love music, I think helped the DJ part. And, you know, my ear for music really helped as well. Mm-hmm. So that's really where the interest in music came. But for sure, there's a passion, like a fire uh, in me, you know, that, that's burning to learn, the desire to learn new things and, you know, go after new hobbies and... Uh, new businesses or ideas or whatnot for sure that that contributes as well so you're a typical type a personality the go-getter yeah probably yeah (laughs) and um and this desire this passion for learning and for you know just being the best out there how important do you think passion itself is for success um very important you know, I don't. I don't think there's really anyone who can be successful at something if you're not passionate about it. I mean, there's a lot of things that we can do to make money and be successful for, but if, unless you're super passionate about it, you know, I don't think you can really sell it and be the best version of it. Look, take uh, uh, Steve Jobs for example. You know, mm-hmm. uh, he was passionate about that product. He wasn't just successful. Just you know. Uh, like Bill Gates, I see him, I don't know if he's so passionate about, you know, Microsoft or whatnot, but he, he's still successful. But look at the difference between, you know, those two. And, you know, even further on down the list, anyone, I mean, take Elon Musk, for example, he's, he's super passionate about the stuff that he uh, puts out as well. Uh, musician, super passionate. I mean, uh, you know, a hip hop guy could be making a house record because that's more popular. But no, he's passionate about what he's doing. He's a rapper, so he's that's what he's doing. So I think passion for sure plays a huge role in you know the outcome of your success, or even maybe not just being successful, but the level of success or the you know the magnitude of your success. I would completely agree, and I want our listeners to kind of focus on that. What he's just said. Passion is super important. Now, 
in this time and especially last year with everything that's been going on people are trying to make ends meet and some people have kind of like taken a back step from looking identifying and executing on things that they're passionate about um for anyone who's listening do you have any like tips or tricks to like find your passion or anything about passion that you would like to share something that they can take home yeah i mean it's it's pretty easy to find out what you're passionate about i mean it's, it's the thing that you would do for free uh, okay. you know and spend all your time on that's really where your passion is okay you know your job your 9 to 5 you're not passionate about a 9 to 5 job some people might be but not everyone but mm-hmm. if there's uh, you know something that you would do for free and spend all your time on that is that is probably where your passion lies or where your passion is I also think one of the things that kind of like doesn't stop but like creates a doubt in people's head is this inner critic or the outside critic like let's say for example you were you thought you were passionate about something and then your family says oh no you know what that is nothing to be passionate about and then you get discouraged then you have your friends and they're like oh no that's never going to give you that money you're never going to be paying for that house blah 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 and that's not going to like take you anywhere and then this is the time that you have this inner critic voice in your head it's like man is it even worth it and for all those people i tell them like when you have that kind of a voice in your head just listen to your intuition or something like like as you mentioned exactly like you know keep um, keep having this thing that you might want to do for free yeah and let's take an example of like a noise cancellation headphone <laughs> put a noise cancellation headphone on your ear and ignore everything else that is coming from outside up to a certain point and then if you want to take like you know some you want to take it to another level and you want to have something that you're passionate about and really push for it then you know we can we can talk about so many things like the biohackers take on it like neurochemistry like that extra edge that you can get yeah. from those noise cancellation headphones yeah. or from neurochemicals like a very specific neurochemical called dopamine and what dopamine does is it plays a very big part in your motivation and reward pathways in your brain yeah and one of the ways you can increase dopamine for anyone who's listening is by eating certain types of food chocolate like you can do it with chocolate exactly chocolate is very high in something called as tyrosine which is an amino acid which converts into dopamine it could be chocolate it could be almonds it could be avocados watermelon anything just find your stuff you can also take things like you know curcumin from turmeric has it l-theanine from green tea has it there are some herbs like ginkgo biloba like so many things that can increase your dopamine production so if you ask me like a biohacker i would definitely go that would be my noise cancellation headphones yeah i mean uh, it's not only that those are great tips by the way you got to send me a list of those things cuz I, I, I a lot of things you mentioned that like are my regular diet and i didn't even know um, oh, cool. but um you you cannot expect someone to understand the feeling you feel when you think of something great because mm-hmm. i really do believe that it was created for you only and the greatest idea that you get in your head and you feel in your gut can sound like the dumbest thing to someone else so you know it it's sometimes the worst idea to ask uh you know someone for their opinion there was a there's a great quote that i i used to have 
Um, but I, I can't remember right now. When I remember, I'll, I'll try to mention it. But it was along the lines of, uh, you know, uh, asking someone for their opinion is about the worst idea, like, you know, that you can you come up with, you know? That, that's why the noise cancellation headphones. Yeah. So don't ask people, not your parents, not your friends, not your partner, no one, right? You go within yourself to find the answers. Once you're... You know, once you reach a good place, then you can get other people involved. But, you know, like I said, your great idea can sound like the dumbest idea to someone else. Until that kind of like blows up and then everyone yeah. is appreciating you. It's like, oh, you were always correct. I knew you had something in you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a classic thing that we hear. Now, I must ask you, when I was growing up, I would see, I mean, I've seen a lot of DJs live and things like that. And there were like these, some set of DJs. And I... Honestly, at that time, we would just make fun of it. We would think like, man, I think that guy isn't really doing anything. And all the music is set up on an auto mode. And this guy is clearly playing Pac-Man behind. <laughs> how, how, how true or false is this? A lot of people have this conception about DJs. Have you ever seen someone or caught someone do this? No, never. I mean, uh, never. I mean, unless you go to like a lounge or something like that where, you know, there's not a lot going on. Then maybe, but no, in a club or something like that, if there's people in the club, I, I doubt it. Um, it. I think it's very important for for the DJ to be connected with an audience when he plays his music. I don't think it's possible. Even right now during the pandemic, you know that the, uh, they've canceled all entertainment again. <clears throat> and some DJ can provide like, uh, you know, mixes or playlists, but it's just not the same. You know? Talk to me about it, man. I have my birthday coming up next week and I was super excited that I'm going to get out of the quarantine and have like a birthday party and then the notice comes up and everything is shut. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could still do it. There's just not going to be a DJ there. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'm just counting <laughs> on the playlist. Yeah. So tell me, how does it feel to sign up like being a Marathi artist and signing up with major multiple national music companies and you've done this with big names such as Universal Music, BMG. How does it feel? Or how did it feel at that point? Did you expect it? You were like, oh, the next step is no. going and signing all these things. Or it just came randomly. No, no, not expected at all. I mean, we worked towards it. Um, and it's, it's a great feeling. You know, when you walk into that office and you see like a picture of Lady Gaga and Justin Bieber on the wall. And wow. you're also signing a deal with, you know, with like a label like that. But, uh, you know, like where, wherever it's like, uh, I don't know if you watch basketball much, but like the NBA, you know, players move teams and they, you know, they just move, you know, you just keep moving along until you find the right situation. And honestly, today record labels are great if they're supporting you, but you can also do it by yourself. A lot of the big up and coming artists are now going independent, uh, and releasing their music themselves and not sharing a profit of it with a label. Now, with my situation, when I did it was because, you know, I needed the support of the label. But if you're, you know, a huge artist that's got hit songs and you have a fan base, you don't need the record label. And, you know, people are talking about that a lot. But for sure, I mean, uh, you know, like I said, that feeling of walking into the Universal office, seeing that logo, you know, all your life mm -hmm. growing up on CDs and, uh, you know, everywhere. And then you're walking into the office where the logo is on the door signing the deal i mean i can't describe that feeling it's a great 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 feeling man i can only imagine but to become or to get to that level where you have like so many fans and like you're kind of like killing it 
don't you need some kind of a support from these big companies um or is it is it been different like has things changed in the past like 10 15 years um yeah i mean things different from the time when you started yeah things have definitely changed it's not the the same as before yes some people need it i mean not everyone can do it independent drake has a label uh you know uh steve aoki has a label i don't know you know lady gaga has a label but then you have people like i don't know if you know like a rapper called russ no, you know, know doesn't have a label is doing his own okay. thing there's a you know an arabic canadian guy called ali gatti also doing his thing independently uh who else uh, is independent and speaks vocally about it uh, there's a few there's a few people who right. who, are, who are doing it but basically because it's if you're on social media and you have a fan base you know those people are your true fans and they they will subscribe to whatever you uh put out so you you don't really need to uh be a part of a label the biggest okay. artists in the world are part of a label that's the reality okay i also think the rise of social media in the past few um i mean it's coupled with so many things the rise of social media mobile phones getting cheaper internet connections being cheaper everyone's wanting to come out there share their opinion the freedom of speech even in countries which haven't had that kind of freedom of speech before kind of like all builds up to all of this like right now we see social like people jumping to next levels with social media yeah so yeah i'm pretty happy about it it gives everyone an equal opportunity yeah, it's a good time yeah. it's a good time to be uh, doing music and uh, content or whatever you want you know the, the the opportunity like you said is for everyone now it's not limited or or exclusive to anyone for that matter so everyone gets the same opportunity everyone has the same chance you just need to come up with a great idea mm-hmm. now i can also think of a quote this quote is by buddha and i'm going to try to say it probably i'm imagining how buddha would say it he says all that we are is a result of what we have thought what's your take on this it's a a similar concept that i uh, that i that i uh, apply to my own life it's basically uh, you become what you think of yeah you are your thoughts yeah think it and you shall achieve it so all these are related to pretty much the same same thing So you know whatever you're thinking about is what you you know what you manifest. So thinking negative thoughts, negative things can happen to you. Thinking positive thoughts, positive things can happen to you. But you can take it to a deeper level and you know start thinking really about the success of what you want to do and you know uh, attract that to your life. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where that quote comes from. But you 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 hear it in so many different forms everywhere. Uh, and it's so many famous people. Yeah, all 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 the famous people always talk about that. Uh there's another great motivational speaker called Wayne Dyer. Um uh-huh. he says change your thoughts, change your life. You know? Yeah, I've heard that before. And I also like you completely agree to this because of two reasons. First reason is because my heart says so. The second reason is because I'm also a fan of a certain type of science called quantum physics. Oh yeah. and one there are basically two things one very strong phenomenon in quantum physics is the observer effect now according to the observer effect there is a huge potential that you can influence or change in the physical reality that we live in which science at this point clearly doesn't understand 
So when you think about it, the world is made out of particles, waves, atoms, protons, blah, blah, whatever. But when you get engrossed in thinking about something, you start observing it. And the act of observation itself helps influence particles in the three-dimensional reality that we live in. So this could mean, just as you correctly said, that thinking about it, imagining yourself, visualization, or like dreaming about it, this can help you get closer and closer and closer to that perfect model of reality, which can um, reveal itself in the future. And there's this other thing called RAS, which stands for Reticular Activating System, which is a part, it's like a filtering mechanism, to put it simply, in your brain. Mm -hmm. What it does is it filters out information to what's important and what's not important. So you, me, all of us, like if you're just in a regular day, we go out, there are thousands of pieces of information just floating around us. And it is this RAS is job to filter them and not only just understand the information, but give you the information that is most important to you right now. So let's say if I wanted to apply for a job or if I wanted to get a job, my RAS would filter out all the information in my environment and it'll probably start giving me clues on information which can help me get a job or like maybe call a friend who works for an HR company or go to a job hunting website. It does whatever to kind of make you very close to the objective, which is the thought that you're imagining. So I would completely agree that if you're thinking about something like these, these two phenomena by itself will like kind of like get you way closer to your goal or, you know, your car or that job yeah. or your marriage or whatever. Yeah, I agree 100%. So Marwan, let's talk about the dark side of being a DJ. Mm -hmm. We've spoken about the good side. Now... <laughs> There are famous DJs in the world, Avicii, Eric Murillo, Benga, all of these guys have come up and addressed the challenges that it comes with the fame, the parties, you know, the flights that you get on, and so many other things. What has been, as a world famous DJ, what have been some of the challenges for you? Yeah, I mean, uh, did you notice the, the trend in the name of the DJs that you mentioned? Um... Enlighten me. They're all dead. I have an idea. All dead. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had to pick some of the most extremes to kind of like get my idea across. Yeah. Uh, but different people, different uh, scenarios. Avicii, I think, was suffering from, you know, depression. Mm -hmm. Most of them actually had some kind of a mental health problem. Yeah. Like Avicii even quit his career at like what 26 yeah i think he had a health problem but apparently from what i understand really 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 nice guy but you know sometimes when you have uh uh you know health issues or mental issues it's very hard to deal with uh eric Morello, on the other hand i think he was just too much of a party animal you know i think that's what led to his death um so you know different situation for different people uh, right. It's tough, you know. Well, one part of it is, you know, when you get successful and then, you know, anything below that line, you start feeling like, you know, am I not good enough or, you know. And this is not just in music. I think you've seen it across the, you know, the whole entertainment world. You know, what happened to Britney Spears After, back in the yeah. day and Justin Bieber, what he went through. Uh, sometimes just success, sometimes success, and then just coming down from success. Um uh, it could have to do with, you know, your financial situation and the lifestyle you were living and then, you know, not being able to achieve that. So 
so many different things can affect it. And I feel it because, you know, on a very minor scale for me, you know, whenever I felt like, you know, especially last year was a pretty challenging year, not being able to DJ and, you know, getting income from <clears throat> the work. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is definitely one of the hard parts, you know, trying to maintain, uh, you know, your your persona, your career, um uh, it is a tough world, you know, you have to be on social media, you have to be out at events, and you have to travel, and the traveling part is fun, what you see is fun, you know, as a viewer or a fan, but, you know, it's it's tough, you know, I did a tour of America, and I was literally, like, DJing some nights till, like, 3, 4 in the morning, I had to catch a flight at, like, 6 a.m., um, so really no time to sleep and go through the airport tire two hours before and go through security checks and fly to another city and, you know, reach there and then sleep all day and then, you know, DJ at night and then next day had the same situation. So it looks good from the outside and don't get me wrong, it's great to be DJing everywhere, but it, it, it's not always so easy. You know, it comes up with its own challenges. Sure. I mean, if you reach a certain point where you're now flying private jets and getting paid a hell of a lot and, you know, uh, and you choose what you want to do, it's a different type of situation, but, um, but it, it, I'm sure it could be hard for anyone. You know, some of my artist friends, uh, like Shaggy, for example, toured the whole world. Like, I don't know how he does it, you know, but, but I think it's the love that, you know, always wins the love for the music, the love for performance and, uh, entertainment, but for sure, there's a, there's a hard part as well, you know. And like I said, different scenarios, different people, different things. I think Carl Cox also in one of these interviews that he just gave, um, he said that he's going to be slowing his touring season yeah. because he was afraid that he was going to burn out. I also came across a study in the UK which was done on musicians, especially, and they said sixty percent of the musicians face some kind of like a depression because of antisocial, um, like, you know, not being so social, some kind of money problem, like you mentioned, irregular work. And touring was one of their biggest problems. And I would also go as far as thinking that it all looks so great, but then, um, you know, being by yourself, irregular sleep patterns, long weeks or months away from your, like, families and loved ones can also, like, exacerbate the effect on, like, mental health so 100 percent, yeah i mean i i could see that i could see that for sure but like i said man when we talk about people you know have you you know you've never met two people who are alike ever mm-hmm. um so just imagine like different personalities fitting within the same genre of uh or not genre in, into the world of entertainment then you see how everyone deals with uh each thing and you know every person deals with it differently some people deal with it well some people deal with it you know really badly Talk to us about, I mean, when we think about a DJ, the first thing that comes to my mind, oh my God, this person must have such a crazy party life. And honestly, so many people in the world will be envious of the lifestyle and the party lifestyle because everyone thinks it's like super great. In your experience, um, after doing this for a long time and being, I think, to the best parties in the world, does that feeling always stay or after a while you're just like, doesn't matter, the party is just, it's just a party? No, not at all. I mean, um, you know, it's one of the things I look forward to the most, going to a great party and, you know, anticipating what the crowd's going to be like and how they're going to respond to the music and, you know. Um, I always say I'm not a big fan of nightlife because I'm a promoter as well, you know, so all the events that I do. So the business side of it, I'm really just over it and, you know, tired of dealing with that stuff. But 
have the same passion for the DJing part, you know, like I did on day one and, you know, till today, it doesn't matter if it's a club with 1,500, 2,000 people, a concert with 20,000 people or a small room with 100 people. I always, you know, come out and do what I have to do to make sure that the people in that room are having a good time. And that's where, you know, I feel, uh, feel my bliss and, you know, and I want people to feel theirs as well. So the passion for the DJing part, you know, is 100% still there. I mean, it's evolved, you know, now my, the way I DJ is a different sound. It's on big stages and, you know, my next step is to kind of get into the festival uh, circuit, which was, I was about to last year. My first, I would love to see you in the festivals. Yeah, I was, I was booked for Ultra Music Festival Abu Dhabi on the main stage. That was going to be the start of, you know, something new and different for me. And that was really one of the first events that got canceled. Mm -hmm. so um, we just have to wait and see but that, you know my mind's still set on doing that because I think you know the festivals is where I see myself uh, you know being myself with the new s performance and new sound that I have that's, that's where, where I really want to be well good luck to you because I would definitely I had my tickets for last year's Ultra Music Festival I've been going to Tomorrowland for a couple of years oh, yeah? I'd love to see you in one of those kind of gigs thank you now in your, with your um, experience as a DJ, do you think being in front of so many people or just being in front of like the crowd and everything, has that caused any kind of negative impact to your health? No, aside from, you know, late nights, uh, which I'm enjoying right now, sleeping early and uh, waking up early. And uh, the fact that they still smoke in the clubs over here. Um it could take a toll, you know, like the sound, of course, uh, a lot of DJs uh, have lost like high frequency in their ears and, you know, your, your sound, your hearing is not the same as everyone else. Um, but, you know, anything serious directly related to that? I don't think so. You know, I was burning the candle at both ends the days where I was DJing three or four nights a week. I was doing six radio shows and hosting, you know, a TV show all in one week. So those, I think those were the days where I was really pushing the envelope and, you know, as they say, burning a candle at both ends. But I make sure I don't do that anymore. You know, I don't want to be, you, you know, in having, I don't want to have those kind of schedules and feel tired and uh, not being able to do, uh, you know, what I'm supposed to do. Amazing. That, like, in a week, you could pull that off. That, it was tough. That's thinking about it is just like, wow. It's stressing me out just thinking about it. Yeah, and the crazy thing is, some parts of it, I was doing morning shows. So I was DJing till 3, and then I was, you know, had to be at the radio station at 5 in the morning to start my show at 6. So eventually, I moved out of that morning show and, you know, started doing an evening show, which was a little better. But still, you know, doing six shows a week was, was tough. It's intense, Yeah. yeah. And for those of you who are listening, and um, you're probably, I, I think the audience might just get a bit confused thinking that what happens to um, what happens to their ears or their body once they hear like loud music. Well, basically what happens is if you hear like sounds which go over 85 decibels, which generally is like if you're stuck on Sheikh Zayed on, I mean, not Sheikh Zayed probably, but the Charger Highway, if you're stuck on that traffic for a long period of time, that sound would actually increase over 85 decibels. And what happens is you have these tiny hair cells in your ear. They're like about 10,000 hair cells. Mm -hmm. And they're responsible for converting every sound that you hear into electrical signals. And those signals then get transferred into the hearing centers of your brain. And that kind of like makes you hear the sound, the speech, the music. And what we call it in technical terms is noise-induced hearing loss. There's also a lot of other things that noise can do, like 
this is why I asked you this question because when you hear noise at a different frequency and the the vib the vibration of the sound keeps on fluctuating, it can actually throw your heart out of rhythm as well. That's called arterial fabrication. And these kind of irregular heartbeats from time to time can lead to different and serious issues like blood clots, stroke, the list goes on and on. The brain, there's also some evidence that the brain gets inflamed and these inflammatory reactions in the brain can also cause like brain related issues long term like dementia. And probably one of the reasons why a lot of people run into those health problems or like brain health problems normally i've been into a lot of music festivals and one of the uh, one of the most important things that i try to do is like try to reduce the sound input that is coming in whether that be from a yeah. earplug or some other kind of device because we kind of underappreciate sound but sound can also increase stress hormones in your body stress hormones like cortisol which can increase blood pressure and i've seen some studies where sound can even go as far as taking out your immune system or like you know putting you onto the risk of diabetes. So it can be like a serious, serious issue. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you pretty much nailed it uh, over there, but um, like anything, you have to really just take care of what you're, you're doing. And, yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, you know, for hearing, like even the, as a DJ, you don't not only hear the sound in the club, but you have the DJ booth monitors right next to you. And you know, the, the more you play, the louder you make them because the less you hear. And then just, it's a, domino effect coming down but 100% most DJs have lost high frequency hearing and I have uh, most high frequency in my hearing is, is gone you know after doing tests and uh, it's a great idea to have earplugs and I've made custom earplugs but it's impossible to DJ with them you know I don't get the feeling of uh, of what's going on outside so um, for that reason I, uh, I, tr I try to just keep an eye on what I'm doing even when I'm in the audience I, it's very annoying to have those earpieces on <laughs> Sometimes you're just like, oh, let me just let my body suffer a little bit. But like, let me just enjoy the music, especially when you're in like big festivals like Tomorrowland and stuff. Yeah. Now, when you started, how much of a competition did you face in the region, at least? Was there a lot of competition in the early 2000s? No, not really. Not really a lot of competition. Um, and also, no one was really doing what I was doing, you know, as far as just across the board, radio, TV. Uh, DJing all at the same time and you know I was doing my own events and I was hosting events and I actually at one point I had two different personalities I was Marwan and I was DJ Bliss um, so as far as that you know there was competitions in each category of what I was doing but nothing like hey this guy's doing like everything you know what I mean did you ever have stage fright as a kid, every, every, uh, as a kid, I don't remember. But I mean, even till today, no one loses stage fright. By the way, apparently, even like the biggest artists in the world, like uh, Lady Gaga and uh, Beyonce and all those people, you know, they, every time they step on the stage, they still have stage fright. It's it's a it's a feeling you get right at the beginning, mm -hmm. but it goes away. How does it feel to share a stage with one of the biggest names like Wiz Khalifa, Prince? Do you get stressed when you're with such big names or do they get stressed when they're with you? How do you keep your calm when the whole world is watching you, dude? I don't think they get stressed for sure. Uh, you know, I think with experience, they, it just gets better and better for them. And for me, I, you know, it was like I was on and they were on later. So I wouldn't even go as far as thinking about it like that. I tried not to get into that thought. But, you know, in my head, I was thinking if they were listening, let me make sure I put on the best show possible. And that's really it. You know, I've had the, the pleasure or uh, uh, 
you know, we're very lucky to have shared the stage with a lot of, lot, a lot of uh, big celebrities. And for me, it's, it's like, I'm here to do my job and that's it. You know, I never thought about it in that sense. Okay, fair enough. You came up with something called, I need a Karak. Mm-hmm. And um, this is something that at least one person in every household in Dubai has said, or just, this is just such a simple idea. How did you transform it? And I mean, this, just this uh, piece itself gave you like millions of views. What was your thought process? Do you start looking at the most simple things and then you're like, oh, let me, because this is so simple and available to everyone, let me bring this idea forward. Do you have like that kind of a thought process? What was your thought process behind I Need a Karak? To be honest with you, it was just a song that I recorded as a, as just a, as just a joke. You know, when we were in the studio one day, I just put, you know, those words into it. Um, and I thought it was just, you know, like you said, this is something we all say. And I thought it'd be cool if I, uh, if I just made a song out of it. And nothing, I just left it. And then years later... The guy who directs my video is like, hey, remember that song you let me hear once? I was like, yeah. He's like, well, listen, I have a brand that might be interested in shooting a video for it and, you know, paying you for it. And I'm like, sure. So we changed up the lyrics a little bit and we put it out. Uh, but, you know, when I made it, that's exactly what I was thinking. I'm like, this is like, a, you know, an anthem. Everyone's like, yo, I need a Kedak, you know? Like, uh, mm-hmm. And when do you need a Kedak? I need a Kedak in the morning. I need a Kedak in the evening. Like, I need a Kedak all the time. So exactly. it, was a, it was a no-brainer for me. And then it's just one of those great situations. Like you create something as for fun, um, and then a brand comes in and says, "Hey, I want to, you know, put put money behind it." So really, I think it was a really fortunate situation. Congratulations! It definitely worked out for you. <laughs> Thank you, man. Now, talk to us about vlogging and what has vlog. When did you get into vlogging, and what has vlogging done for you? Look, I started vlogging like ten years ago. I bought a oh, okay. I bought a camera and I was like, "This is my daily life." I mean, I mean even before, even over ten years ago, I was filming stuff. Uh, but you know, I was doing some bits and pieces, and then I was po- posting like all my interviews on YouTube. And then, seriously, about five years ago, vlogging made this huge comeback. There was a guy called Casey Nice that was doing it, and then I was like, "You know what? You know, this is what I like." You know, and this was around the time where I. Uh, I left TV and I left radio also, so I was like, you know, this could be my platform. So I put all my energy and love into it and started creating this content like TV style and, you know, hopefully take people behind the scenes of what I was doing. And it was going well, but not as successful as I wanted to go. Um, So I did that for about three years. At one point, I was daily vlogging as well. Uh, but it's tough. It's, you know, it's a tough world, the the vlog world, and it's not just for good quality content that everyone wants. There's so much more that goes into it. Things like clickbait and, uh, you know, uh, content that people want to see. It's not what you think is good, but you know what they want to see. And that's why some bloggers do well, uh, and you know, some don't. So about three years ago, I got a little demotivated and, you know, I stopped doing it and I had my kids. So, you know, I took a little break from it, but I actually, funny enough, like about two months ago, I started, you know, posting a video a week again. So I'm trying to get back on it again. And I thought, you know, it's really not about the views. You know, I enjoy doing it. So I'm just going to continue doing it and you know, show, show people uh, an insight into my life and what I do. So that, that, that's what's going on with my vlog world. But yeah, my YouTube channel is DJ Bliss. You know, feel free to go check it out. And I was telling you at the beginning that, you know, I have a video called The Truth About DJ Bliss. It really tells you the whole story of, you know, everything about me and, you know, what I did and uh, where, where I've come to. I'm definitely going to check it out. And listeners, I want you to definitely check that out as well. 
man, I must tell you, I am myself planning to get into vlogging. Mm-hmm. Apart, do you have like that one piece of advice that you want to probably give me or millions out there who want to get their hands into vlogging? Something basic, something that would go a long way. It, I mean, look, it's not easy, but it could be super easy as well. All right. Um, and I know that sounds crazy, but really, if you could make a thousand good videos and get, mm-hmm. you know, a few hundred views, or you can create that one masterpiece that ticks all the boxes and you'll find, tick all the boxes, you'll find the information online and in one video you can shoot up. Right. Uh, so, you know, my, my, my advice to you is to research it and the most important thing is to be persistent and consistent. Yeah, that's the, that's the two most important things that you do. And you just got to figure out, you know, what you're passionate about and see if there, there's a passion for that online. I'll give you another example. My wife, she started vlogging uh, a couple of years ago and she, you know, same thing. She's like, oh, you know, I'm going to do it. I was like, I don't know. She was posting videos with her and her friends and they were traveling. And I'm like, I don't really see much point to it. Then she did one video called went to the worst reviewed makeup. And she went like from zero to a hundred thousand in like a couple of week followers. And that video has now got like, I think 8 million or 10 million views now. So you know what I mean? Like one video just changed her whole channel. Where wow. really I've been posting videos for like, you know, I started 10 years ago, started vlogging five years ago. And, you know, one of my biggest videos got 1.5 million. That's a huge number. Yeah. Now, you previously said that you sometimes operate on two personalities. One is Marwan mm-hmm. and one is DJ Bliss. Now, if you were to combine those two personalities together and you were to give a tip to the audience, something that is really valuable for you, something that you think people can learn from you and take just their life and their being into a higher level, what would that be? I think uh, be yourself, you know, um, and and be good uh, to to people because I feel like, you know, the the universe works in in a very mysterious way where, you know, what goes around comes around. And, uh, you know, as far as what you want to be doing in life, find out what you're passionate about and, you know, what you love doing. Remember what I said, like, if you love, if you do it for free, that's where your, that's where your passion lies. Um, and you know, I, th- I think you say some great things on your podcast as well that you mentioned here today, you know, your quotes and whatnot. And, you know, even there's a lot of BS that's going on around the world. There's also a lot of good things. And I think you just have to go out and find it and, you know, uh, have have an attitude of gratitude before you sleep at night, when you wake up in the morning, and just you know, persistent and consistent with with everything that you do. Uh, focus and you know, and and I don't know. Uh, I know I, you told me one thing, but you know, I kind of threw a lot of things in there. But it's really that's just, all right. That's all right. <laughs> summarize. It also reminds me of uh, a few weeks ago. I interviewed a person. His name is Ronald Reggio. Mm-hmm. And basically, this guy is a Henry Cavus um, director. He's a professor. He's wrote about 100 chapters in a book. He has been studying leadership for the last 25 years. And literally, he's like the world's leading voices in leadership. Yeah. Um, and what he said when he came onto the show, when I asked him, what's the best way to become a leader and one of the best tips that you would give them? He also mentioned that at the end of the day, the one most important thing is to be good because you can you can take all these different techniques and tactics and tips but at the end of the day if why you want to do it is not for something good you can only get so far so i really appreciate that you know you being so successful him being so successful and a lot of other people also 
tell everyone that you know just be yourself it's okay and um at the end of the day just be good yeah that's what the world re- needs right now yeah habibi you have been such an inspiration you've been a role model and your work has kept us entertained and it's even been something that has pushed us i really appreciate what you do and i really appreciate you coming on to the show brother thank you man thank you for having me and uh, you know i i really enjoyed being here there was uh it was it was really uh, you know a two two way thing. You really provide some great information to your listeners, and I you know I wish you uh, continued success, and you know I hope you get bigger and better at what you do, man. Thank you so much, man. Thank you so much. Have a nice day. Take it. care. Your time and presence with us through this podcast is highly appreciated. If you want to learn more, then head over to our website, www.shiftwithcj.com.